Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hey everybody, welcome to the Mini Break, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel production. Your daily pod for storylines, results, and controversy in the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, November 13th, and we're here to talk primarily about the ATP Finals in London. My name is Jamie McDonald, and I will be your host for the day. Uh, with me is a voice you know all too well, it's Mr. Alex Gruskin. Alex, how's it going? Three Wednesdays in a row. This is a record for me. Well, this is what happens when my life gets insane and we record later <laughs> and later at night. That is uh, that is just how it works. But I don't know hey, how Wednesday I feel. Nice. I don't know how I feel that Matt Stachowiak has more of a life than me that like he's canceling on you cuz he's busy and I'm like, "No, I'm a good fallback." No, nah, you know, I won't I won't, you know, drag his name through mud here. He didn't cancel <laughs> this time. This was simply me being gracious and I know the fact that, you know, he retains a normal schedule whereas someone such as yourself uh, does not. And so I'm like, ah, I'll pick on Gruskin again. <laughs> so anyway, yes, it is always fun for the Tuesday night for the Wednesday mini break. It's always a good time. But uh, we have some great tennis to cover, um, particularly in London at the ATP finals. Um, I, and of course, we're going to spend a lot of time on that Djokovic and team match, which really didn't finish up that long ago. That was an insane match. Um, but let's go ahead and jump into the first match of the day on the single side. So Three-seed Federer taking on Berrettini. Wins in straight sets here, 7-6, 6-3. I mean, I mean, I guess a couple things out of this match I want to talk about. How good, give it on a scale of 1-10, to 10, would you say Fed looked in this match? Honestly, maybe a 5, like at best. Like, I don't think he played that well. I think he is particularly well-suited to beat a Matteo Berrettini in that mm-hmm. Matteo Berrettini wants you to give him time. If he is playing someone, I don't know, I, a Medvedev is too extreme of an example, but let's say like a Jill Simone, someone who's going to keep a steady rally ball, try and attack the outer thirds but not kill you with pace, that gives Berrettini time to step around his backhand, rip forehands, pl- mix in drop shots, move forward. Now against Roger Federer, obviously you're not able to do that. Federer's got the weapon of a first serve, always looking to play plus one tennis, always looking to move forward, keep his opponent uncomfortable. Credit to Matteo Berrettini because his first serve, clearly a weapon. There's a reason he is on this stage. And no, he, I would say there's, it goes, you know, the big three members of the big four that are there obviously are in their own category. But those other four guys you could really group together in Medvedev, Zverev, Tsitsipas, uh, and Dominic Team. And then I would say there's obviously a drop-off in level between those guys and a Matteo Bertini, at least especially in what we've seen over the past three years, not just this season. But to answer your question, I mean, Roger Federer did what he had to do, right? That he was able to play strike-first tennis, that he was able to get broken, or, or that he was able to save all three break points he faced and not get broken while breaking a server of Bertini's quality, you know, twice in that second set he'll take it right now he gets the chance to play for his season to continue it against Novak Djokovic and when you're 38 years old it's all sugar on top right 
Yeah, exactly. It's really not bad from the Federer side. I mean, one thing, at least if you're looking at it from the Berrettini side, interestingly, um, you know, of course, I'm going to sprinkle this in here because how can I not? But the last time these two played, of course, was at Wimbledon and I was there. Uh, this was the one of the lucky <laughs> matches I luckily got to watch. And I mean, Federer just slapped Berrettini around. I think it was one, two and two and it felt like it was over in 12 minutes. So um, this certainly a step up in level just in terms of, you know, not just from Berrettini, but just in general, the match, the match quality was higher here, which is good to see. I mean, it's six and three. Yeah, Federer. Um, I mean, he looked like the one who was going to come out on top of this pretty much throughout the match. Um, and so, I mean, that's good for him and his confidence going into that match against Djokovic. Um, of course, that's something we'll see later in the week. But, of course, expecting a good match there. I, I think I'm probably with you in saying that you expect Djokovic to win that. Yeah. Maybe, but I do want to say for, I mean, for Federer, it, look, against a Matteo Berrettini, you just need to take care of the things you do well. You need to make first serves. You need to be able to play first strike. And to his credit, he made 67% of his first serves. That's a check mark in terms of goals you want to hit. Wins 77% of those points. 68% of his second serve points did a really good job, obviously, of targeting the Berrettini backhand. Now, for Berrettini, give him a little credit, right? For him, it's also, you know, sugar on the cherry on top of what was a breakout season for him. He's inside the top 10, deservedly so, given that he's won a couple of titles this season. Uh, but yeah, for Federer, Djokovic is a whole nother monster. I mean, that that's a brick wall you're going up against. Berrettini isn't going to put back as many extra balls. Berrettini is going to try and rip his way out of trouble. Novak Djokovic is going to try and, you know, poke it, you know, finger poke you in the eye his way out of trouble. So yeah, it, I, I would say level-wise, even though he lost today, and maybe this is how we'll start talking about it, there's no doubt that Novak Djokovic, to me, has looked better thus far in this tournament than Roger Federer. Yeah, I think that's fair to say, and I think, yeah, that's a good segue into it. You mentioned that brick wall, so impressive when we see somebody, you know, essentially be able to hit through him and... Really, that's what Dominic Team did today um, in a match that was an absolute classic. Maybe one that we can talk about at some point on, you know, one of the many many pods we do here in the in the coming months as really one of the matches of the year. I mean, this was a phenomenal match from start to finish. Um, team barely squeaking it out. Uh, listeners, Gruskin and I were uh, we were on the phone during the latter parts of this match, and Gruskin was nice enough to give me the nice shot by shot, play by play rundown <laughs> as I was driving home trying to switch out my car battery. So. Um, um, you know, just really what we saw in this match was someone surprisingly was able to hit Djokovic off a court. And when you're on a hard court, it's honestly just, it looks wrong when someone's able to do it, right? Yeah, it's, I mean, first of all, let the record show that down 0-3 in the third set tiebreak, no, I did tell Jamie McDonald, no, you no, I think team's still going to win. And then I flipped when Djokovic went up 4-1, but at one point I did have faith in Dominic team to win mm. this match, but I'm not going to say it looked weird. Um, I will say Dominic team, you know, what we saw from start to finish, this is his best season. There's no doubt about that. And for him to go 2-0, make the first ATP World Tour semifinals, or ATP semifinals at the World Tour finals, uh, that's a breakthrough moment. That's a top four position of the best of the best, and he deserves that spot. I mean, he made a Grand Slam final this year at the French Open, beating Djokovic in a, you know, three-day-long marathon semifinal, two-day-long, whatever it was. And today, he played like a guy who has no fear, who has a ton of confidence in what he's doing well, and 
that meant hitting through Djokovic. He hit some forehands down the line. And to attack the Novak Djokovic backhand, that takes some gumption. You know, it, it, it takes a bold man to want to do that. One of the fun parts for me for the Murray-Djokovic duel, and we'll talk about that on a GSP as well, uh, is that Murray so often tries to attack the Djokovic forehand because you never want to go up against the Djokovic backhand, arguably the best backhand in tennis history. And today, team just showed no fear. He went down the line big with that forehand to keep Djokovic honest. He went down the line big, taking balls early with a one-handed backhand down the line. That is the hardest thing in tennis to do. But then the question I want to ask you, because we were talking about this during the match, uh, today, and there were guys like Matt Willis at Matt Rackett, one of the brightest follows on tennis Twitter, who's emphasizing this, a lot of people emphasizing this as well, but... There was some talk that Dominic Team worked in the slice today more than he usually does. And I'm curious for you because no one hits a backhand slice like Jamie McDonald listeners, let me tell you. Uh, that I don't know if it seemed to work because – and I'll get to my counterpoint after, but I want to hear your thoughts first. It, it did seem today – to throw Djokovic enough off rhythm to make him throw a ball in the center as opposed to on the you know the double or the alley line cross court, and it said and it seemed to work for Dominic Team. Do you think that slice approach is something that can be uh, beneficial, something that can really help you against someone as solid as Djokovic? So to clarify real quick, are you talking using the slice or the slice approach specifically? No, no, not the slice approach. Okay. Uh, sorry, I meant the approach. Uh, I, I meant the word approach not as an approach right. shot, but sure, the approach, sure, sure. yes. Yep, yep. Okay, I just wanted to clarify because I think that really changes the conversation. You know, to me, um, one thing that I've always looked for is if somebody can make Djokovic hit a slice – that is really how someone is able to open up a point against him. Um, because, you know, not only is that just a weaker shot for Djokovic, it's allow- it's not allowing him to hit his best shot, which is that two-hander. Um, and so that's really sometimes, too, when Djokovic gets himself into trouble, um, it seems like he maybe just has a little bit of a mental lapse and doesn't, he, for some reason, he doesn't go with the two-hander, tries to slice it, and then somebody can take control of the point. Now, the way you use your slice against Djokovic is the most important aspect, right? You know, if you just sit back there and just hit floating slices back and forth. I mean, you're just going to get absolutely rocked. So I think what team did and, you know, he did it in the serve. He did it with his slice. He did a lot of things were honestly, he did a great job of being creative of how to open up the court. And so if you're using your slice like that, you know, it's not just a simple, essentially rally ball slice that's going into deep into the court. Yeah. You know, that can help you get back into a point and that's great. But really, if you're able to use that angle, make Djokovic uncomfortable, get him off of the perfect baseline where he wants to be make him step up a little bit but sort of awkwardly reach for one of those slices right then you've got the whole entire you know rest of the court to open up and rip a 100 mile an hour forehand too so it's really just about how you use that slice more than anything um, and honestly I don't think it's a bad play I think what is a bad play is only trying to hit um, and bang ground strokes down the middle against Djokovic, then you're going to get absolutely torched. The obvious example is Roger Federer, who uses that mm-hmm. slice to get a middle third ball from Novak Djokovic that he can then attack. And that's what Dominic Team did so well today. Not that he used the slice in a defensive way, but that he used it yeah. to get Djokovic out of the outer thirds. You never want to play cross-court rally tennis with Novak Djokovic. Open up space for him because he'll take it away from you immediately. That's what he does so well. Um, is redirect shots. And yeah, Dominic team threw in the slice in order to draw a middle ball from Djokovic, and he had no fear going after it. And 
it I mean, his power from the ground stroke, he just swings away both wings. It doesn't matter that he has a one-handed backhand. He sacrifices no power because of that. I mean, on the serve today, Dominic team did a really good job. He, You look at his percentages, he made only 56% of his first serves, but he won 67% of those points, was able to play strike first tennis, uh, won 51% of his second serve points, held Djokovic to 17.35 on the Djokovic second serve, broke Djokovic on all four of his break chances. He played really well, and then to come back in that tiebreaker the way he did, because the first setbreaker, he threw in a couple double faults. You know, he goes down 3-0. He goes down 4-1 in that third setbreaker. Could have thrown it away easily, said, you know, this is a good effort for me. But no, he didn't do that. He continued to play aggressively, disciplined. He was aggressive when he got middle third balls, but he wasn't reckless. Um, He served and volleyed some. It was just, look... Has he won a Grand Slam? No. And is that something that will always be a question until it happens for Dominic Team? Of course, because ultimately a lot of people think it comes down to slams. But the guy's done everything else at this point. I don't know what else you need to see from him to think this man is capable of winning a singles Grand Slam tournament. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. No, I, I think that is definitely fair. And, you know, I do want to go back to the break point stat a little bit because this is a huge one, right? I mean, Djokovic was not able to save any of the break points that he faced, whereas Dominic Team saved six of the nine that he faced. And, you know, realistically, that turns this match. But regardless of all the stats, what he was able to do in and out of each point, the most impressive point to me comes down to the very end. Like you said, down 3-0 in a tie break against Djokovic, down, what was it, then 4-1. And he comes back and wins it to, to have that sort of mental belief, and then also be able to come on across the finish line with that. And a guy with Djokovic who has been insane in tie breaks and is just Djokovic on a hard court. That to me is honestly the most impressive part of this whole match. He becomes the first guy to ever beat Djokovic and Federer back to back at a World Tour Finals, and you now look at his career head to head against those guys. You know, a really respectable now four and six against Djokovic. A really respectable, uh, I mean, respectable given that he's a lefty four and nine against Rafa, and all of those come on clay. But uh, team has been able to put up fights. You know, winning record against Roger Federer. He's five and two. He's two and two against Murray as well. He's the guy who has the weapons to match up with those players regardless of the circumstance, and it's just a question of can he do it three out of five? And the answer to me is obviously yes. He just hasn't done it yet. Yeah, I think that's fair. And realistically, too, this is a guy who his best surface, it's unfortunate that it's someone like Nadal who he's facing on his best surface, right? It's the same thing with, I mean, it's not the same thing with Federer because they attack in different ways, but it's like Nadal is not only the best clay quarter of all time, but he's also still a lefty going into that one-handed backhand. Yeah. And that's, and that's very true, and those are things that team is going to have to stack up against and you know ultimately beat, or I guess in this case, I suppose you could say just wait them out. But um, I'm hoping he has <laughs> one breakthrough, one big breakthrough before, um, and it's not just simply a waiting out sort of scenario. But needless to say, this was a great match. Um, let's go ahead and also preview the matches that we've got on deck for Wednesday because we're going to have some fun ones as well. First, starting us off, it is a rematch of that classic U.S. Open final. Rafael Nadal, the one seed, taken on Medvedev, the four seed. 
I mean, just right out of the gate, I guess. I just want your prediction, just straight up. I don't even care about a score. Who wins this match? Well, neither of them comes into very. Good, it comes in with very good form. Medvedev uh, early loss no. in Paris. Nadal obviously injured right now, and he lost uh, to Tsitsipas and not the best, or not to Tsitsipas, excuse me, to Zverev in uh, pr- particularly routine fashion. But you know they've played twice both this year. Obviously that U.S. Open final as well as that final in Canada where Nadal got him three and zero. Uh, both guys are worse for the wary. I mean, they've both played so much tennis of late, and just given their particular circumstances, you can only imagine what Medvedev's body's feeling like at this point, uh, given, you know, how many matches he's played, 59 and 18 on the season. Nadal, 51 and 6, not going to qualify for the best of the decade series, but, uh, season, (laughs) but still, that's crazy, you know, that he's still won that many of his matches. Um, you know, it's funny because I went to Bavada to look, and of course, they have Medvedev as the favorite here, minus 145, given the Nadal injury, who's plus 110. I mean, I'm going to go with Medvedev, because I would just love to see a Medvedev-Zverev match with something on the line. I feel like it could get particularly testy, but uh, I don't feel good either way. I mean, I'm going to take Medvedev, just because I think physically Nadal ailing, that's obviously what hangs over it, and so he just looked off in match one. It's indoors that helps the Medvedev serve. I'm leaning Medvedev, but I mean, either way, it's going to be a close match. No, I agree with what you're saying there. I think the interesting piece, of course, I feel like at the end of every year, you can't talk about Nadal without talking about some sort of ailment or injury, right? You know, he... (laughs) There's Toward a reason the the he's year. never won this event. Yeah, and it's that that's exactly where I was going is it's very interesting that he's never won this event. And of course, I think a big part of it is simply the scheduling, right? By the end of this year, I mean this dude is just worn out. Whether it's his knees, his abs, his wrist, I mean something is just broken um by the end of the year. So you know, it's an interesting one. It's saying that both of these guys lost their first match. Absolutely unexpected. Uh, but let's go ahead and talk about the two guys who beat them, who will be squaring off. Sitsipas taken on Zverev in that second match of Wednesday's slate. I mean, like I said, unexpected to me to see the, these guys get the wins early on. But when we're thinking about Zverev and Sitsipas, these guys looked great in their first matches, right? Yeah, and look, for them, Tsitsipas lost the first match they played at the City Open in 2018, but has won the last three. He's 3-1 all-time against Zverev. These are two of the peers of their generation, obviously, alongside of Medvedev, but both these guys a little bit younger. Um, I mean, look, indoors, if Zverev can serve like he did against Nadal with the way these courts are playing, with just like, good luck, Tsitsipas, with a one-handed backhand returning that serve. No disrespect to Tsitsipas, but it's just Zverev's hitting cannons. And so it's like, if he's going to play like he did against Nadal, I just think that's why Alex Zverev is the most accomplished of all these guys, in my opinion. All due respect to Daniil Medvedev making that U.S. Open final, I mean— just when when it looks right for Alex Virov, it looks so good. And so obviously you're so encouraged by that. Now, can he do it back-to-back? You look for the Bavada odds here, pretty even. I mean, Zverev to win right now is minus 115. You look for Tsitsipas to win, it's minus 110. So it's neck and neck. It's an either-or match, and that makes a lot of sense. Now, Tsitsipas played well. Um, there's no doubt about that in his first match against um, Medvedev. But... 50 and 24 on the year. That's so many matches for him. We so, even though he did play well down the home stretch, um, you know this is a place Zverev's won before. He's a little bit more comfortable, so that's probably yeah. why he's the ever so slight favorite. 
a pick wise, both of these matches don't gamble tomorrow. Stay away because <laughs> it's it's just it's yeah. really tough. It really could go either or. Uh, I, I'm leaning Zverev, but that's probably my heart talking. But it, either or. Yeah, and you're interesting to see this one for me. I would say if I had to pick, I honestly, I don't know. I'm leaning a little bit towards Sitsipas. Really, I was just very impressed with how he approached that Medvedev match. Um, and maybe in my mind, partially, I'm thinking that maybe what looks Zverev, made Zverev look so good is possibly that ailment on Nadal. Now, I don't want to take stuff away from Zverev because in terms of ball striking, he looked really, really good. I just loved the sort of, I guess you could say craftsmanship that Sitsipas uses. I mean, I thought he was very creative and had some great tactics when it came to taking on uh, Daniil Medvedev, a guy who he had really struggled against in, in previous matchups. Um, and so those sort of things are really important when you're coming into a match against Zverev, a guy who he can beat. And, you know, honestly, just the fighting spirit that both of these guys show is great. Um, I, I think that both of them have a tendency to show a lot of emotions both ways. One knock I would put on Zverev a little bit more so than Tsitsipas is when it's negative, you see it, you see it manifest itself big time. Um, and I think if Tsitsipas can get on a roll and capitalize on some of that, Alex Zverev can be in a lot of trouble. So here's my counterpoint. You remember their match in Beijing. Zverev was up in that first set, both mm-hmm. up a break and then up in that tie break that he ended up losing 8-6. He lost the match 7-6, 6-4. You know he remembers that. This guy was like, yeah, I played Nadal yeah. five times. Three of them I had chances a couple of days ago. So you know he thinks about those sorts of things. But Stefano Tsitsipas loves to attack. And low-key, in his heart of hearts, Alex Virov is a grinder. He's a guy who wants to be hitting passing shots six feet behind the baseline, showing off his athleticism. You know, the fact that he is one of those guys who can hit that on-the-run backhand down the line pass uh, in a Djokovic-esque fashion. You're just like, ugh, like that's just different from anyone else. You know the, the shot thing I'm is, talking about. The thing is, though, when he gets into those, he can do that. But I feel like when he gets himself into those situations, he's grinding like that and trying to, you know, wait and then hit the passing shot. He gets himself into trouble. It's a bit Monfils-esque. So because ooh, he, has like the ath- he has the athleticism and has the ability to do some of that, but in doing so, putting himself in those situations ultimately hurts himself over the course of the match. But so the counter to that is, so you're right, but if he's serving as well as he did, he's getting True. easy holds or easy easier holds than usual to where he's not having to scamper back all the time, but he gets to do it on some return games, gets to take some chances with some passes. You put together a couple of passes in a game, you get that break when you're serving as well as him. That's how you do it, right? So it's that if he's serving this well, plus he gets the opportunity to hit some passes, and when you're feeling confident, there's nothing that feels better than an on-the-run pass. Like, I just, I like... I've always liked this matchup for Zverev, despite the mm-hmm. fact that he's lost the last three encounters. And I mean, I just like every matchup for Zverev because on paper he does everything well. Um, but that—that's a—that's a me problem. Um, <laughs> and so I, I, I guess that's why if Zverev serves this well, I just don't know how you're going to beat him indoors. That's fair. No, he. I mean, he can look. This guy can put on a serving clinic if he's having a good day. And so if that's the case, um, Steph Stefanos is just he's in a lot of trouble, right? I still go back to the fact that Zverev, though, if he especially if he's getting a lot of confidence from a booming serve, I really don't want him to just, you know, fall to this passive default on the return games and then just try and hope that he gets a couple chances, right? Like if he's feeling the confidence hitting the crap out of the ball, especially on his serve. I want that to translate into showing some big aggression on the return games as well. So 
I, I don't know. I think Zverev could get himself in a tricky position just trying to play passive here unless Tsitsipas plays a really sort of ugly game in this, which I, I obviously, as a viewer, I'm hoping doesn't happen. Um, but yeah, once again, this one is neck and neck. Like I said, I think I'm leaning a little bit towards Tsitsipas. Um, I guess we'll I guess we'll just have to see, huh? Yeah, it's it's either or. Again, don't gamble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm certainly not gambling. But um, the ATP Finals, great event. Really excited for those matches that are upcoming tomorrow and throughout the rest um, of our time there in London. With that, do you have anything else on the ATP Finals before we transition it to uh, some other you know action across the uh, the tennis world? You want to talk about? No, check out the doubles too because it's really high quality yeah. tennis all the way around. And the year's almost over. I keep saying that, but it's scary <laughs> to think about. So get the tennis while you can. The decade is almost over. Oh, Remember that my too. God. <laughs> um, no, but with that, I know that you did have some takes, um, things you wanted to talk about on some other um, matches and challenger tour across it. Also, um, Gruskin, with that, I'll turn it over to you. Where do you want to go first? Well, I want to knock Houston out of the way because I know you'll have some thoughts about, or more thoughts in particular, about Champagne. Two challengers this week, obviously something we've been monitoring these past couple of weeks is the USTA Australian Open Wildcard Challenge. Uh, you know, these guys play, I think it's three or four challengers over the course of three or four weeks. Uh, you, Whoever accumulates the most points in two out of the three events uh, gets the wild card into the Australian Open main draw. Obviously, a Grand Slam cash, Grand Slam points, all of these things being huge uh, uh, things that can help propel you forward as a rising professional player. And so all of these young Americans, all of these American players taking shots, and we get to see so many of them in the fields at the Oracle event in Houston this week. Number one seed, Tennis Sandgren, who's not going to need a wild card into the Australian Open, obviously, but he's in action. He's probably going to take on Michael Redlicky. That could be a pretty fun match. A lot of college guys, you know, the upper echelon of college players get wild cards or have professional rankings to play these year-end challengers because so many guys worn out from the season aren't playing, so there are opportunities for them to get into the draw. We saw UCLA's Govin Nanda take out uh, Florida number one player Oliver Crawford, 6'4", 6'3". I mean, if college guys is your thing, Ray Sarmiento got a win. Colin Altamirano got a win. Uh, Alex Galerno of NC State got a win. Brandon Holt, number one at USC, and we just did a college contenders on them. He got a win today over Colin Sinclair. So a ton of great action there. Some of these guys still in play because they have higher rankings. Michael Moe won the challenger last week in Knoxville, so he's in the lead right now. But there are a ton of guys in contention, a lot of American players, and these are all easy matches to see. So, you know, livestream.com backslash ATP for those who need a tennis fix during the day. But the event in Champaign where our friend Mike Cation is on the call USTA Pro Circuit, a lot of Illinois men's tennis players in this draw, a lot of college players here as well. And I mean... One of the big th- storylines that we'll be monitoring college-wise is UNC. They return so much talent. They have some great freshmen coming in. How good can this roster be? Because they're certainly a national title contender. Got my first look at Will Blumberg this weekend. To be honest, you know, for the rising senior, he, he did not look that great yesterday in his loss, I believe, to Evan Song. And Ben Seguin lost today to Sebastian Corda, a guy who skipped college. Really good talent, Australian Open uh, junior singles champion, but so he lost today as well. Now, I'm not doubting their talent. I'm just saying, you know, for Blumberg, it all starts in that, you know, that's the number one guy. That's the senior coming back. NCAA finalist as a freshman, so a lot of things are going to start and end with him. It's going to be fun to see, you know, is he not going to play one singles this year? That feels like a possibility. So that's 
one thing. Torpegard knocked out the Svita man, Zach Svita, the young Kalamazoo champion. So physically, I still think he's a little bit away. UCLA's Keegan Smith looked great today. 6'6", 6'7", giant cracked interview guest we had recently. I mean, indoors, good luck returning his serve. He knocked out number 16 seed Roy Smith uh, today, 7'6", in the third. So that's fun. But... The real team that's making noise, and this is, sorry, Jamie, for talking so long, but where I want your opinion, the Illinois men's tennis team, they're obviously the hosts here, and, you know, they get wild cards into the event as such. Alex Kovacevic, their number one singles player, semifinalist in the last week in Knoxville. Zeke Clark today lost his first round match to Martin Redlicky, but he's had a really good summer and fall on the pro circuit. And then there's Alex Brown who yesterday lost, I believe it was seven points total on serve in his straight set victory, and then today reached the first round of 16 in his uh, at a challenger in his career when he knocked off former NCAA champion and number two seed this week, Blaz Rola, 6-4 in the third. I mean, between Kofa Savage, between Brown, between Zeke, this is an Illinois team with a ton of talent. And I mean, Alex Brown, he's not huge. He's like 6'2 to 6'4, which is tall. But not huge. He's, but the he's lefty, like six four. It, he's like six four, six five. I think Illinois has him listed at six five. He he has I swear to God, the guy just never stopped growing. <laughs> yeah. I mean absurd. Nebraska fed through and through. Yeah, dude, it is absolutely nuts. I mean, this guy, um, listeners, if you don't know, I grew up playing around Alex Brown quite a bit. Um, you know, I'm older, so I was able to, you know, see him grow up to be someone who is simply just way better at the sport than me, which is always really fun. <laughs> but seriously, there was one time I came back to hit um, at that racket club where he was training at, where, where I grew up playing. Um, I swear to God, when I left, he was six foot. When I came back over winter break, he was like six three. I was like, dude, what just happened? Like, and it, I'd, I'd been away for like two months. Then I came back again. He was like 6'5". So, I mean, this guy is an absolute monster. And you said it, that lefty, that serve, especially on those indoor hard courts. I mean, it's just almost unreturnable. Yeah, and he's confident with his forehand right now. It's yeah. a funky grip, but it works. He's moving forward like all Illini players do. I mean, it helps that it's his home tournament in terms of that's where he's playing his college right now. But, I mean... Him and Kova up top at one and two, that's as good of a duo as you're going to find. And so yeah. Illinois team, they lost Keenan Mayo to transfer, but a ton of continuity outside of that. They're going to be really good this year. And yeah. both of these guys look like they locked in this summer and they are ready for I mean, it's a privilege that we're going to get to see them in college because they're both pro talents. Yeah. No, I absolutely think so. This team is going to be very dangerous, like you said, that one and two combo up top. You've also got a guy like Zeke in there as well, somebody who, I mean, look, if you've seen even three seconds of any Illinois match, you know this guy brings more firepower (laughs) um, in terms of just raw energy than anybody out there, and that's awesome to see. Um, You know, he's a senior now. He's going to be looking to lead this team. So pretty much all around the board from talent to leadership to energy to intensity, uh, this is is just a – team that should be feared essentially yeah they're they're a contender and i'm sure we're going to talk about them at some point yep. over the next couple of weeks with that being said you have any other thoughts on champagne uh i mean i'll be watching again livestream.com backslash atp like or you, the usda like for them no i'm like, trying like to somebody get somebody them to sponsor us if you can't you're like tell. somebody who who like has to rep you know some really bad brand at college you know like yik yak and you're going around just <laughs> Always plugging it, right? You're always like selling, like, hey, I have like a thousand pair of free socks. Like, hey, check them out. I'm just saying free tennis all the time if you want your fix. It's stupid that more people don't use it because, I mean, that's not true. There's always somewhere between, you know, 200 and 1,200 people watching a match at any given time. Sometimes a little more if it's a really highly, you know, 
esteemed player, but it's a, it's a great resource. So I just I hope other people get to take it for granted because that's how we're able to talk about these challengers all the time. No, that's very true. You do utilize uh, all the resources at disposal. You know that's that's why we respect that. Um, Even the absolutely. tennis channel podcast network, tennis, tennis channel, channel, a resource podcast. at our disposal. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, we're gonna we're gonna use all of our resources to watch all of the great tennis, you know, across all the levels. Um, it's a ton of fun right now. You've got everything from these challenger events to the ATP finals, and just keeps us entertained day in day out. So that's always a treat. Um, Gus, I want to thank you for coming on once again. As you said, that's a lot of Wednesdays in a row for you. So uh, maybe we'll cut you out a break next week. Who knows? <laughs> maybe maybe I'll drag you back on. What are you thinking? You know, whenever you need me. I feel like next Wednesday when there's not actual tennis going on, that's when I shine. So I'm expecting mm-hmm. the call no matter what. All right. Well, I'll keep that in the back of my head. Well, <laughs> thank you again. And what do we tell our listeners? That's the break. All right. And we'll catch you guys next time.